One of the most beautiful places in the world I've ever been is, uh, well, the remains of a town, Banyas is its modern name, the remains of the town. At one time it was Panyas, uh, and uh, before that, in the scriptures, it was known as Caesarea Philippi. It was in that area that a city dedicated to Caesar Philip uh, was built. Uh, in that city, or, or nearby that city, the headwaters of the Jordan River were and flowed through, and that's part of the reason it was so beautiful. The waters were so clear, you can, you can just dip your cup into it, and this is in a land where you don't want to drink the water otherwise uh, because of various other uh, things, but you could drink the water right out of the, right out of the river. A few miles down the road, you wouldn't want to do that. It would give the Minnesota River a run for its uh, money because it was so dirty by the time it had, had gone just a few miles south. But near Caesarea Philippi, there was a particular cliff, and in that cliff was a cave, and in that cave was thought to be a chasm, a hole that went into the bowels of hell itself. So the, the Greeks and the Romans built a temple there. In fact, that's where Banyas or Panyas comes from. The temple was dated, or dedicated rather to a little godlike preacher, Pan, P-A-N. Sometimes we want to say Pan. Uh, Pan was usually depicted as a little uh, satyr, you know, goat, uh, goat legs with a human head, and and sometimes he's depicted with a horn. Sometimes he's depicted with a uh, pitchfork. Uh, sometimes he's depicted in red. You're starting to get an image in your head, aren't you? And uh, at times, uh, other times, if he's not depicted with a uh, pitchfork, he's de depicted as uh, the other thing he was is a musical player of the pan flute, this uh, multi-stemmed uh, thing that you would slide around in your mouth, like slide it like a harmonica, but each each pipe would be a different note. We get most of our uh, imagery of Satan from Pan, Pan, most of it. So when Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, he points to that, he could, he must, probably was pointing to that cliff or at least alluding to that cliff and saying, you know, that rock, but this rock, on this rock, I will build my church. And we might say, well, what's the connection you probably didn't know the connection until maybe right now of, of rocks at all. But what's the connection with uh, you are Peter and on this rock? What has to do with what the name Peter means? Peter Petros is a derivative of the feminine, feminine form of Petra in Greek, which is rock. Not stone, not pebble, but rock itself, the substance of a stone, the substance of a pebble. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have to admit, every time I heard that phrase until recently, I thought, well, isn't that great? Hell will not prevail against it. That hell will batter on the gates, and, and, and we will be victorious. But if you read it in context, that's not the way it goes. On this rock, this church will prevail against the gates of hell. That we will knock down the gates of hell. This church, why? Why? It has to do with the proclamation of Peter. But Peter is the one who takes, with that authority, 
the power of heaven and knocks down the gates of hell. See, we as Catholics understand that this passage is Jesus giving Peter the keys of the kingdom. And we might say, well, what's that all about? Well, we hear it in today's first reading. As we have the king giving authority, God giving authority to a second person. And notice uh, it, it jumped out like a, a today to me as I heard it proclaimed, you know, sometimes I need to hear it too, that you shall call him father. Isn't that interesting? Because one of the ways to understand what Pope is is Papa, Daddy. Father. Isn't that interesting? You shall call him Father. And Jesus gives Peter second in command, authority, the keys of the kingdom to open and to loose. Now, sometimes we have a misunderstanding in our world that this means that the Pope, everything he does is flawless, that he's completely sinless. There's a little problem with that, and that is, well, I don't know how, how many times uh, Pope Francis or Pope Benedict go to confession, but it is rumored that St. John Paul II went weekly, if not more frequently. Well, you don't go to confession unless you're, you sin. I can't imagine what the Pope's sins would have been, but he went to confession. So it doesn't mean this doesn't mean that whatever the Pope does is sinless and flawless, but what it does mean is when he speaks on authority of, uh, uh, of the authority of the scriptures, on faith and morals, he speaks without error. He speaks because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The other thing that sometimes I hear, and I, I heard it once, that, well, the Pope just declared that the moon was made of blue cheese. It's made of blue cheese because, you know, that's the way it works. Well, that isn't the way it works. It has to be in conformity with God. It has to be in conformity with the truth. But when the Pope speaks with that authority, it is. It is flawless. Why? Because Jesus Christ wants the church to have the authority to take down the gates of hell, that nothing will stand in Christ's way, and we are continuing his mission. And this is important for us. And we might ask, well, why? Why does Christ do this? Because it's part of his mission, a mission that was not going to end with his death and certainly not going to end certainly not going to end with his death and not not going to end even with his resurrection but rather until all things are submitted to God the Father we hear that in St Paul in order to get there though Jesus asks a question he's not having an identity crisis he's not asking because he's wondering he's not even taking a poll of how am I coming across rather he's testing their faith who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Anytime Jesus asks the question of his disciples, he's asking his disciples, us as disciples. So he's asking us this day, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers for the disciples then, and he, he might even answer for us now, but we have to answer for ourselves. Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He doesn't quite understand maybe what that means next week as you hear or you, you could just go to the next verses you hear all of a sudden that Peter doesn't quite get it Jesus says this is what it means to be the son of God this is what it means to be the Christ 
And Peter, God forbid that should ever happen to you. He doesn't understand what it means. And we might not even understand what it means when we give an answer. But we need to give an answer. And it needs to be as accurate as we it can be. Why? Well, if Jesus is just a teacher, I don't know about you, but I loved all my teachers growing up. I was thinking about this the other day. All but one of my grade school teachers has uh, since deceased. I had a privilege of being meeting many of them again in the last few years of their life. If they're just a teacher, if Jesus is just a teacher, I don't know. That mission isn't very good. If Jesus is just a prophet, just a spokesperson for God, there's always going to be another prophet. If Jesus is just a wise man, there's lots of wise men, lots of wise women. There's lots of, lots of things that Jesus could be, but none of them are worth following him. So that's why the question is so important. Who do you say that I am? And again, each of us has to have an answer. And again, we might not fully understand what that answer means, but we have to have an answer. If I were asked today, who do I say Jesus is? I would say, of course, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who takes on flesh to, to redeem us. He went to the cross to redeem us. He died a real death and rose again, a bodily resurrection. He ascended to heaven. Everything that we say in our creed, and I strive to understand what that fully means, but I certainly strive even more so to put into action what that means. If Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, and he is, then I have a task to tell people about him. I have a task to tell people, you don't need to be in a life of misery. That Jesus Christ is there to save us. As we just prayed in this world of uncertainty, and isn't that true of 2020, if anything has ever been appropriate to say uncertainty is this year's theme, we can turn to Jesus Christ who is certain because he is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who loves us. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking us, not as an intellectual exercise, not because he's having an identity crisis, not as already said that he's taken a political poll, but rather that answer has to be lived out. He wants us to live that out. As I said a few weeks ago, C.S. Lewis, I believe it is, said that Jesus is either of no consequence or of every consequence. He can't just be moderately consequential. If Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is the Messiah, is the Christ, it has to have consequence in our life. So let us ask ourselves, who is Jesus for us?